This is Daizen Shui X the Podcast, episode 168 for the week of March 15th, 2009. Welcome to Dies and Shoei X, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. Dies and Shoei X. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. Holy crap, folks! We got a lot to do this episode. We're not gonna diddle daddle. Introductions, Mary, over here, to my less proverbial right. Howdy. What's up, yo? Hey, not much. The woman. Yeah, token woman and wife. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> I don't think we've actually good. mentioned that in a while. <laughs> Thank you. Hey. Hey. Doing there. good. I. Good. Ready to talk about Dragon Ball Evolution? I no. All right, <laughs> moving on. Julian over in Japan. What's up, man? Oh, not too much. You know, getting ready for the end of my current contract and moving on to the next job. Thinking about buying a bike in the near future. A lot of stuff. Good times over there. Oh, and I saw a movie. Oh yeah, there's a little movie. You're gonna talk about that. Yeah. Very I won't mention times. it for fear of breaking the podcast. <laughs> I know, this podcast is doomed. So we got Mary over here, we got Julian off in Japan, that leaves me, my name is Mike, Vegito EX. Amazingly enough, we are recording this our own Sunday morning here in New Jersey, it's Sunday evening over in Japan. This podcast episode is coming out this same day. Can't get any more hot off the presses that's than right. this. Thus- Not that I know that we have any hot off the presses news. Oh, that's but- true. It's all been up on the website if it was that hot. Thus the lack of diddly daddling around what we're doing this episode. This is the all Dragon Ball Evolution episode. We're talking about Ayumi Hamasaki's rule. We're talking about the junior novel as put out by Viz Kids. And we are talking about the actual broadcast, premiere, not really a broadcast, but theatrical debut of Dragon Ball Evolution over in Japan. And because Julian is there, he saw the movie. We have an actual live report about it. That's everything we're doing. So without any further ado, let's do some news. Amazingly enough, the first bit of news is Dragon Ball Evolution related. The soundtrack and the score are now up on Amazon. I know they uh, weren't there for a while and suddenly popped up. The MSRP is $17.99 each, so if you're interested, you hear any songs you like, you can pick that up. Julian, real quickly, tell me there's another new guidebook coming out. What's up here? That's right. We just had Super Exciting Guide Story Volume this month, but it looks like we're also getting a Super Exciting Guide Character Volume next month. It's coming out on April 4th for 630 yen. Nice. So uh, the last one seemed to be all about the story in the manga, and I would assume that the next one's kind of going to focus on more character-specific moments, like that growing up section maybe in the Daisenshu, though we don't really know. They're kind of small and just repeats of information with a couple new tidbits, but... That's right. But that's that. So moving on to the more important stuff, we have a bunch of new Dragon Ball Kai information for you. It doesn't stop. We've been updating the website with this. It feels like almost daily. Uh, and then I'll give you a brief recap of where to find all this stuff at the end. But quickly going through here, the Tokyo International Anime Fair, that's on March 20th. We knew that Masako Nozawa was going to be there, along with the singer of the theme song. Uh, the official site for Dragon Ball Kai updated earlier this week to let us know that Takeyoshi Tanimoto, who you know we knew was going to be doing the opening and ending theme, uh, he would be performing the opening at this event. Uh, in addition to him and Masako Nozawa, Hiromi Sudu, who played Bulma, and I guess you would say plays because it's still ongoing now, and Toshio Furukawa, who plays Piccolo, will also be there at the event. They're going to begin passing out tickets at 10 a.m. there in Tokyo, and the event itself will take place from 11 to 11.30. And I think they actually said right there on the site that they're probably going to run out. It's going to be standing room only. Julian, how far is Tokyo from you? Oh, let's see. Uh, By regular train, it's about 10 hours. By the Shinkansen, I can make it there in under three, but Shinkansen's kind 
kind of outside my price range for everyday travel. <laughs> gotcha. So yeah, so it's a little far off for you. Yeah, ah, it's a sham. But I, it was I do that have something far. to add about the uh, ending theme. Sure, what's well, up? I think we've noted in the past that both the opening and ending are written in what appears to be English. The opening is called Dragon Soul, and the ending is written as Yeah, Break, Care, Break. But I do have something to note about this. Sure, it's actually works along the same principle as chala het chala being um, uh, sort of mangling as het chara, which means, like, carefree. Uh, apparently, um, the name of the ending refers to the phrase yabure kabure, which means, like, in utter desperation. Oh, that's great. I love that they're kind of carrying along with the tradition of that naming there. That's really cool. So we'll see how it actually sounds, hopefully, pretty soon. So we got, Very what, nice. three weeks left? Yeah, something like that. We're closing in on it in about 20 days. E. Very cool. Anyhow. All right, moving on then. Uh, behind the scenes, back on February 7th, and we all kind of missed this for a while, and none of us uh, knew what the blog was and kind of leaked out after a while. Uh, the name of the blog is We Remember Love. They posted up a video from the Philippines branch of Toei with some work going on with Dragon Ball Kai. It was a short little, like, one, one-and-a-half-minute video of the blog owner kind of sitting at someone's desk, their station, their office there at this branch of Toei and actually working on a frame of Dragon Ball Kai, doing some recoloring and reframing and stuff. And, uh, guys... Apparently, this was the desk of Wasted Wisher on our forum. It's not actually him in the video. That would be the blog owner. But he was saying on our forum how they got his name wrong. His name's not actually Joey Hernandez. But he didn't leave what his real name is. So we actually... That's all for the best. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we Don't have... get him fired, Mike. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not going to... Uh, I don't have any info to give. I don't know anything. So, we need that inside source. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there you go. That's a pretty cool little inside look at what's going on. And unfortunately, it just leaves more questions than answers yet again with the type of work they're putting into it. And really psyched to see what the end result is going to be when this finally starts up in a couple of weeks. So you can go check out that video. Uh, more really big information here. Kenji Yamamoto is going to be handling the background music for Dragon Ball Kai. It is not going to be Shinsuke Kikuchi's original score. But Kenji Yamamoto is not someone foreign to Dragon Ball. Julian, why don't you give me a back history of the dude? Yeah, well, he's done a lot of, uh, I guess you could call, arrangements of the theme songs used in a variety of Dragon Ball themes. Um, but he's also done a lot of music for the video games from the SNES ones down through to even the most recent games. So he is no stranger to Dragon Ball music. So I think it's good that they've chosen someone with a lot of experience in the medium and within the franchise as well to do this. Right. I mean, not just video game music, but the arrangements for Head Shala, even ending themes and inserts like Battle Point Unlimited and Mind Power and movie closing themes, Kimi Gahiro. This guy, like you said, no stranger. If they were going to go with anyone other than the original, this is what I wanted. And I'm kind of about it. We've always been saying through the years that the video game music, you know, kind of retains the spirit of Dragon Ball, but it's just more modern and updated, and we finally get to see um, right. you know, that kind of style was actually set the to the show, yep. so that's awesome. Very cool. Alright, so finally the last bit of Dragon Ball Kai information. Julian, I'll stick with you. Give me an update. What's up here? Yeah, so Masaharu Sato has been announced as the voice for Kame Senin in the upcoming version of Dragon Ball Kai. Uh, the original voice for Kame Senin, Kohei Miyauchi, passed away in 1995, just a few months before the end of the DBZ TV show. <clears throat> so, for the remainder of Dragon Ball Z, he was played in a few key scenes by Masaharu Sato before being 
more permanently replaced in GT as well as the many video games that have come out since by Hiroshi Masuoka. Uh, there was also one additional appearance as him by Kinya Aikawa in the 10th anniversary movie The Path to Power. So we're a little bit surprised that they went with Masaharu Sato, but he's had a little bit of experience as a character before, so he's not a complete stranger to the role. So I guess we'll have to see how it turns out. I don't know if we have a clip from the end of Z with him. Sure, I can, I can throw one in. We actually did an episode all about the different voices of Kame Sanin back on episode 107 of the podcast. And if I remember correctly, uh, at least I said that I preferred Masaharu Sato's performance of the character rather than uh, Hiroshi Masuoka's. I just not a fan of Masuoka's performance of the character. It sounds very forced, very, uh, very replacement-esque. But so there you go. Uh, I see. We learned about this through an update on Toshio Furukawa's blog. He put up a picture of everyone together uh, doing the voices. A little tiny picture. I wish we could have gotten a bigger one, but he's kind of leaking out some information there, so that's pretty neat. The last bit of news I have on here, I actually didn't even throw this on the outline. I forgot to, but uh, Viz is putting out a jump Dragon Ball Evolution poster zine, as they're calling it. I think this comes out on the 31st of the month. It's one of those typical kitty tween magazines magazines about a property with, you know, posters and probably stickers and little articles and interviews with the people. Eleven earth-shattering posters. So, there you go. Mary. Wow, they shatter the earth. They're so powerful. You're a girl. Girls buy these things when they're younger, right? Um... Yeah, I've been known to buy stuff like that. Interested in the poster zine for Dragon Ball Evolution? No, I think I'm a bit too old for that. Okay. (laughs) So, with that out of the way, it is time. Let's evolve. Alright, before we get into any actual movie stuff, we've got the CD single. Ayumi Hamasaki, Rule is the name of the song. The CD single also contains Sparkle, which I think was used in a Toyota commercial or something like that. There were three... I think that's what it was, yeah. Okay, and that that one's on here as well for whatever reason. I guess it works to package it. It's the B-side. The version I got is the CD single and DVD set. I think it was version A. I don't quite remember. There's ABC. Um, They all contain slightly different track listings. I think the others had yet a third song on there as well, but I got the one with the DVD because it had the music video on it. So what I'd like to do is go around, get everyone's impressions, maybe how you first felt about the song, and now that we've had some time with it, you know, we have the actual CD single, how do you feel about the song as a whole, just as a general song, and then maybe as it relates to Dragon Ball, as it fits into the trailers, how do you feel about that? Julian, I will start with you. You're over in Japan. Uh, yes. How do you feel about Is this about thing rule? getting any play over there? I don't know. I mean, it, it at least in terms of the the beat and stuff, it's not a terrible song. It's not really in keeping with Dragon Ball in general. And I gotta say, the lyrics drive me insane. I'm working on <laughs> translating them. It feels like I don't know. It's it's the sort of slangy stuff you'd expect out of the mouth of a teenage girl from Tokyo. That, that's that's the best way I can really describe the kind of the the syntax and and the word choice. That's how I feel. Okay. It doesn't really sound like the way people talk around here. It doesn't feel like standard Japanese. It's the Tokyo dialect of a particular group of people and it I it's 
it's the person who wrote the lyrics, which is Ayumi Hamasaki, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> but the song itself is not that bad, although I gotta say the the music video is also exceedingly strange for Dragon Ball. Yes. Not so out of keeping for the singer, of course. Right. With the bondage gear and the boobs and what have you. But yeah. <laughs> so as it relates to Dragon Ball, though, I mean, you say it doesn't really fit in with everything that we've come to know and love over the last 20 plus years, but maybe how it fits yeah. in with the trailer, does it kind of fit the aesthetic? Does it work at all? Yeah. Meh. Okay. That's how I feel. Let me move on to Mary then. Just general first song impressions. I think we mentioned a couple times. You heard it once, you're like, eh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about it now? And now it gets stuck in my head. Does it really? I hate to admit it. Um, I think I'm only familiar with maybe one or two other Ayumi Hamasaki songs. Ironically enough, one of them being the song called Evolution. I know. And I said in the car, I was like, they should have just used Evolution for Dragon Ball Evolution. And then, you know, they'd be said, no no money wasted. Right. I guess I like the fact that the song has a, a kind of heavy rock element to it. Like, even though it's kind of poppy and, and dancey, it's got, you know, the guitar stuff, strong beat. So I kind of like it. But as far as the trailer is concerned, I've been so disinterested in, you know, all the footage, all the trailers, everything that... You know, when I saw the recent ad or whatever it was trailer that had this song in the background, it actually helped a little bit. It actually made me somewhat more excited, for lack of a better phrase. Was it having something Japanese in there? I think it was the fact that I know the song. Okay. It wasn't the fact that it was Japanese. It was like, oh, okay, I've heard this song a couple of times now, and um, yay, it's in the background. So I guess all the visuals were so foreign to you, but then to have something like the song, which you were kind of hearing separate from what it was related to, Right. Pulling those together, that little bit of familiarity helped a little bit. And like I said, I mean, because the song is kind of a little bit rockish, you yeah. know, it kind of fit with, you know, the explosions and action and all that. Yeah, it fits with the tone they're going for the movie, anyway. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it fits the tone of the movie. It doesn't fit with Dragon Ball, I would say, but uh-huh. I guess it fits with whatever it is that they're trying to go for. Cause I know I should watch this movie and try to not picture it as Dragon Ball. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it seems very similar to the few songs that I've heard her do in the past. Oh, where, yeah, yeah. You know, it's poppy and dancey, but there's also, it's a bit more rockish than other J-pop. Okay. Uh, I'll give you my impressions of the song then. They're pretty similar to you, Mary, where I heard it once and it's kind of okay. I think I may know a couple more Ayumi Hamasaki songs than you, but not maybe like one or two more. I, I know the artist. I know she's been around forever. Not a huge fan. Kind of know the basics. Whatever. Uh, I kind of like the song. It was all right. And the more I listened to it, especially after I got the CD single, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I don't place it up there with my love of the other Dragon Ball music. I do, like you said, kind of hold it separate from what I think of as Dragon Ball music. It's often its own world, which is probably how we should think of this movie. But I'm okay with it. It's it's doing its thing. And like you said, the instant that they started using this song with the footage in conjunction with the actual movie, that helped build up the excitement a little bit maybe because i could focus on that rather than what we already saw was going to be terrible acting that was in the commercials <laughs> in the trailers so being able to latch onto the song kind of ignore the other awful elements in there it helped a little bit let's go around and talk about the music video for a bit then julian i'll start with you the bondage the boobs the what's going yeah, on here like the random japanese daimyo residence with this vague ninja vibe but not really very strange 
I like how she walks out. She's kind of smirking, and then she just starts taking off the masks of people with her magic wand. Yeah, uh, it's very, very bondage subtexty. Yeah, Mary. Ha- I think I'm the only one that liked it <laughs> because, like, you're like, you have to see this music video. I have no words to describe well, it. I know this is Ayumi Hamasaki, and she's this is just how she is. But I'm still thinking of the song in a Dragon Ball context. And you know, when we have music videos over here for songs that are used in movies, they typically intersplice footage from the movies to use it as a promotional video for the movie. This almost seems like... They're I'll clearly let- trying to distance <laughs> I know. also Dragon Ball. Like, like, okay, it's just the latest Yumi Hamasaki single. The closest you could say this has to do with Dragon Ball is... There's a shot of a golden rod. Maybe that's supposed to be Noibo. And there are fighters. And there's fighting people. And randomly the people with the masks show up at the end. And then she dances for a while while they stand there. And then she blows them all away. Oh, no. I thought her outfit was pretty hot. I, uh, I like the dance moves. <laughs> all right. I felt about three quarters of the way through. I, I didn't feel like she was really nailing some of those moves. It seemed like the guys were dancing harder than she was. Yeah, but then yeah. towards the end, it's exactly. like towards the end, she was getting into it a little bit more. Well, there we go. That's how I feel about that. Anyone else have any last thoughts on rule before we move on to this junior novel? We don't need any rules that other people have decided for us. Thank you, Julian. All right. So I think this one's going to be mostly me. Mary, you decided not to read this. I want to go into the movie being mostly surprised. I didn't want to read the book because, I mean, I know you said it was slightly different from what will transpire right. in the picture. Yeah. In the moving In pictures. the movie picture shows. I, st- I hear this one's a talkie, Mary. <laughs> um, uh. I want to be somewhat spoiler-free, which is pretty hard considering I'm on this podcast. <laughs> and it's... um. Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah, I know. Maybe Goku beats Piccolo. Maybe. Maybe, just maybe. (laughs) So I'm going to try, I don't know, Julian, especially with you doing the movie as well, how we're going to handle spoilers. Because the movie's out, because the book is out, I I think we'll say what we need to say, but we'll try to not go out of our way to thoroughly describe stuff. But there are enough key points that I I have to mention them. I have about a page and a quarter of one-line handwritten notes, so I'm going to kind of cruise through this. Again, this is Dragon Ball Evolution. It is the quote-unquote junior novel uh, adapted for the Viz Kids label, where they kind of take the script, the screenplay of the movie, and write a very kiddified large font font (laughs) book (laughs) before the movie comes out to kind of keep you excited about it. So I'm just going to go down the list here of the notes I made as I was reading it, uh, how it compares to what I know is Dragon Ball, what I felt was wrong with it as its own entity, knowing that I haven't seen the movie, and Julian's going to talk about the movie afterwards. So I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, Goku wishing he was like all the other kids at school, especially with his hair sticking up, having trouble you know, laying it down flat. This was the first hint I had here that this Goku is not the Goku that I know and love. Goku that I know is not concerned with what other people think of him. He's never going to be down and out and crying because the other kids don't like him. He's completely oblivious to this stuff. So that was the first right. hint there. Not down with that. The next thing was this shadow crane strike, which seemed to be this invisible 
invisible key blast that they use to push someone, which is something, you know, we've seen in the series. Goku himself used it against Chi-Chi at the 23rd Tenkaichi Budokai. But to call it Shadow Crane Strike, Julian, I think this is something Greg was talking about in his review in our forum, where it's, is that supposed to be something? You know, we have Sudo Sending, that's kind of crane, but no one ever uses something uh, called Shadow Crane Strike. Right. I thought maybe it was a subtle nod to the actual series in that regard. Uh, I do have something to say about the the invisible key, and that is very similar to the notions that a lot of martial arts seem to have about it, is that it's an invisible life force, not glowing blue or orange or yellow. (laughs) Right, right. Well, moving on, I had another Goku thing where he was talking with Grandpa and about hanging out with friends, and Goku says, what friends? I don't have any friends. Wah, wah, wah. Again, it's killing me there. I I don't want to be reading this. But then it picked right back up with, uh, shockingly, the Chinese writings of the Dragon Ball names were in this book. And we'll talk about these afterwards. Uh, we're going to have a little pronunciation guide at the end of our discussion. I think it's going to be pretty important. But that was really neat to see in there. There was the scene with Goku and his scooter and this Carrie Fuller guy. I, I felt this was an especially terrible scene. Um, <laughs> with Goku being oh, embarrassed boy. in front of Chi-Chi. Goku's not going to be embarrassed in front of anyone for any reason whatsoever. I think, um, if I can just jump in real sure. quick, I think the Goku that we all know and love would be fairly, and I'm just playing devil's advocate on why sure. they changed his personality, uh-huh. would make for a pretty boring film character, because it's like, oh, well, what's fun about a character that doesn't get bothered by anything, and is just a glutton? I well, mean, Well, we enjoy Dragon Ball. I know, it's because like we're used to, I guess, that Japanese style of storytelling and that archetype of a character, whereas in America, I don't know, maybe as far as an action movie is concerned, no one know. wants to see someone like that in a heart-kicking action movie. I think they could have worked it because there are enough nods in the movie that are kind of hokey that if they went a little more with it without being ridiculous, having a completely stupid, oblivious main character probably could work. I don't know, but this is just how I'm reading it. Uh, the next thing was Goku in class uh, with the teacher smacking his desk and asking about the eclipse and Goku goes, uh, my grandfather would say beware of the Namics. That was kind of weird seeing that written in there and where we're going to go with that. We'll touch upon it. Goku eating tons of weird food was a really nice touch, though. He was talking about throwing in complete chicken legs into his mouth, him and Gohan eating a whole bunch of random shit. That was another nice nod to Goku just eats and eats and eats. I was happy to see that. Something that I believe is mm. exclusive to the junior novel would be Chi-Chi McRoberts and Bulma Enchanto. From what I understand, uh, they use briefs in the movie, apparently. These last names are made yes, up. Yes, that's true. Okay, just for the junior novel. So we can hold it just against these adapters for these terrible <laughs> additional words. Uh, Goku versus Fuller's lackeys sort of felt like Dragon Ball. I think this was the scene where he finally fights back against the bullies for a little bit. I didn't, well, sort of. I didn't love it. Right. He doesn't actually fight himself. He kind of dodges around yes. and stuff. I was, I was surprised. It was actually fairly well choreographed. Okay, in the cool. Film, but I guess we'll touch upon that when you get to it. Cause you'll, you've actually seen it in action. I just kind of read the words. <laughs> the uh, Chi-Chi randomly seeming to be all over Goku, it sort of felt like the original story, but for whatever reason, this just felt too different for me, and I'll reiterate this as yes. we continue going on through here. I'm in love with you because the script requires me to. Exactly. <laughs> 
uh, Roshi is in Pauzu, apparently. That was uh, interesting. A nice little nod. I don't this, quite get it, but yeah. it, it was nice to see the little uh, the word there. Yeah, although it is technically Goku's home and not right. Exactly. Roshi's right. There's no Kame House. There almost seemed to be a swap in roles of Goku versus Bulma, knowing about the Dragon Balls. In this case, Goku had learned that there were seven. Bulma thought there was just one. Well, and I've, I've got that written down too. Okay, <laughs> that was a little weird. But then they go right into the while Dragon Ball energy. You know, they abbrevi- she abbreviates it down to DBE. I forget who it was that was writing about it. Maybe it was Greg. That seemed like an almost turn to the screen and wink kind of moment with the DBE. But then. Yes. The P joke that comes after that, and I won't spoil anything else about it. That just seemed classic Pilaf Saga uh, Toriyama writing, so I was very down with that. That was a nice little nod. Bulma wants to be famous for discovering unlimited energy. I'm not so sure about this. You know, she's pretty conceited. I like that. But that almost seems too helpful to the human race for the Bulma that we know. It's kind of hoping, you know, she'd just do the strawberries a boyfriend uh, angle there. Roshi talking about the energy of the three elements. Elements, the air, the fire, the water. This is, again, the really generic stuff that I don't want to see in Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball has so much going for it that we don't need to rely on these kind of cliche martial arts, crappy American movie elements. And then there's the mm-hmm. OMG, Chi Chi's secret is that she also fights. What could this possibly mean? What a twist. Not so much down with that. You, know, you saw that coming a mile away. Not too happy. Although she's not really the sort of martial arts person that the other people are, which is slightly more in keeping with the rest of it. A little bit, but it also just seemed to come out of nowhere. Uh, Mai appears to have the role of, I think, piano, but with absolutely zero explanation. She's just there. No one ever says why she's there, how she's there. Piccolo apparently had a different right-hand man, so why is she there? I I did not get or agree with or like her role in this movie at all. Yeah, she's just there. Yeah. You know what it kind of is it, it, she she's there for the designated girl fight both yep with yep. uh uh, not not to reveal too many spoilers, but with Chi-Chi and later with Bulma. Oh, yeah, well, we've seen it in the trailer, so I don't think that's too much of a, a giveaway there. There was Yamcha being a thief. I thought that was really nice. And his listening in on their conversations. Of all the characters, I think Yamcha actually felt the closest. That's crazy. Which is kind of um, nice. Well, it, perhaps in the script, although there's certain aspects of the performance that you may not approve of. All right. <laughs> well, that's actually going to tie in with my final summary of the junior novel, but I'll get to that at the end here. So the story here, and this is probably going to be pretty huge spoilers uh, of how Piccolo ties in and what this all means. So if you don't want to know this, turn the podcast off now and la, see the la, movie. La, 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 la. <laughs> so apparently Namekians discovered the planet by accident during an eclipse, and then Lord Piccolo and his right-hand man, a Saiyan named Ozaru the Destroyer, came to conquer the planet. Piccolo was imprisoned with the Mafuba by the ancient masters, and they created the Dragon Balls. Of course... This is where the question came in for me and throughout this entire junior novel. If Piccolo is so powerful, even after his 2,000-year imprisonment, and he has Mai, um, why does he need these foo-lum things that they make and these assassins? This was killing me here. We had no real Roshi in-character moments until he has no idea how to fight these assassin things. I really like this. The way it was written in the junior novel was they're all tense and Goku's like, oh my god, what do we do? And it kind of stops from Roshi for a minute. kind of turns and looks up and he goes... I guess I didn't pay attention that day. And that just struck me as Kami Senin being all serious and all of a sudden just doing the ha ha 
<laughs> I have no idea what's going on kind of moment. So I like that. Goku making a bridge with them was, that seemed like a pretty classic Goku thing to me, being a little ingenious with how he's going to use his surroundings to overtake the enemies. And then there's the Nyoibo Extend. Whoa, I liked that. I was happy to see that written in there. So uh, they need the Dragon Balls before the Eclipse. Um, So what's this Toy Sun tournament? Wh- why? They just suddenly yeah. decide, well, well, we've got to go do the tournament now. That came out of nowhere. It was nowhere. weird the way it kind of got stuck in there. It, oh. It's got to be a tournament. I know. I know. But. Well, you know, the first place they go to train is this place where it's apparently secret, but everybody right, there's is a whole there bunch of tourists it's there. a popular place for training, yeah. <laughs> so continuing on, there was another scene with Goku and Chi-Chi. This is where I realized every single scene with these two was completely unbearable. It was terrible. Did not want to see any more with them. And Julian, hopefully you're going to be able to elaborate on this. What the fuck was with Roshi's Kamehameha up into the sky to bring Goku back after his injuries? This so much, the way it was written here reminded me, Mary, remember the robot chicken spoof where Goku like brings down the sparkling thing and goes, the Tenkaichi Budokai is now complete. <laughs> and even in there, they go, what the fuck did you just say? That doesn't make any sense. No, well, in the in the in the way it's written in the movie, it appears that he is putting his life force into Goku to help him recover. In, or but does he simple, yell Kamehameha when he does it? You know, I I can't honestly remember, oh. and I don't care to. <laughs> it was terrible the way it was written here. So then, uh, Piccolo calls Goku Kakarot, so that was kind of neat. Uh, so Piccolo into the pot, and Mai shoots it to crack it. That was a nice touch. I I like seeing that nod in there. Piccolo says that no Saiyan has ever returned to human form before. That was a, an interesting little adaptation. I think I'm okay with some of these adaptations. I think you need to condense stuff down, change it a little bit to get it to work in a movie. I, I was okay with that. And then we had another WTF moment here with Goku yelling Mafuba! Kamehameha! Like, again, in two different moments, up to the sky and then down. It seems like they're just yelling these words for the sake of yelling these words. Uh, yeah, well, there's there's a bigger issue with that in the entire script, which I'll get okay, to. Okay, I'm just about, about done here with the book, so then you'll be able to take it away. Uh, my other question is, why bring... I won't say anything. Why bring this guy back and not the other guy? Uh, what was going on there? You know, throughout the whole series, let's bring back everyone who was killed by so-and-so. Why can't we do that here as well? That seemed a little lame. The way the junior novel was written, they should have left it at Yamcha saying, Hey! Dragon Balls are gone. We have to find them again. That would have been stupid and cheesy and almost like the end of the first Mortal Kombat movie where Shao Kahn comes back and Raiden's like, I don't think so. And they all strike a pose kind of thing. I think that would have been nice and cheesy and stupid. Instead... God damn it, they go to Goku and Chi-Chi kissing. Yeah. <laughs> Spoil the ending. Fuck this script. God. <laughs> I hate these scenes with these two together. Oh, Is it going to ruin this relationship for you for like the rest of your life? Like the regular Goku and Chi-Chi, you're going to be like, God, I'm so soured by this. <laughs> And this is just another thing, Mary, just like that awful Forbidden Kingdom, whatever, the white dude getting the Asian shit. We don't need this bullshit. We don't need this like fetish kind of thing going on. God, can't you come up with something better? I mean, I have nothing against a white guy kissing an Asian girl. I I really don't. You just don't want movies to end that way. I I just think that's, I had a lot of stuff to say. I don't know where to go with it. I I hated every single last Goku and Chi-Chi moment that I read in this terrible book. I'm sure things differ a 
little bit in the movie. The way I want to conclude it, though, is because I was just reading words, I could picture what these actors and actresses look like, but because I was reading it, I could project my own performances upon these people. So I could have them say things the way I would like them to say things, and even if it was a terrible line, I can make them yell it better. I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, I'm projecting how I want it to be, because I'm not actually seeing it. Julian, you actually saw it, though. So you're gonna- And you can't unsee it. And you can't unsee it. So take it away, man. Take us through your nose. What was your experience like going to see Dragon Ball Evolution there in Japan? And will you ever recover? Okay, so, well, actually, I was, um, Originally thinking, since my my weekend was actually fairly busy, I was planning on seeing it with a friend next weekend. I went to the theater. Um, I was already in Osaka that day because I was looking at bike shops. I'm actually thinking about getting a, a decent sort of hybrid bike to go to work with since my commute is now longer. But I figured, yeah, I'll stop at the theater, see what the showtimes are, and get back to my friend. But I discovered that they were having preview showings that night. So, being the dedicated fan that I am, I bought a ticket, bought a uh, copy of the, the uh, what do you call it, the program that they were selling, and uh, settled in for a long haul and a late evening, which I was not planning, but it worked out. So, it pro- started promptly at 9.05, and you get the chimes, and they tell you, thank you for coming today, turn your cell phone off, blah, 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 and I think, get on with it. Uh, we had some interesting previews. There was a movie called Marley with, uh, I don't even remember his name. He stars in all these stupid comedies opposite Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Aniston and a dog. I'm assuming the dog is the leading male role in this movie since he's the title character. But Watchmen, which looked good. Uh, the Bank, but banks and money in this economy? Jeez. Uh, Half-Blood Prince, okay. Night at the Museum 2. Yeah, really was wasn't the first more than enough. Ben Stiller. Uh, let's see. Uh, anyway... Uh, the, the narration at the beginning struck me as kind of cheesy. I mean, it works for Lord of the Rings where there is a huge amount of backstory to convey. And in this one, uh, <laughs> it was pretty much setting up the tone for the rest of the movie. I don't know. A lot of it feels like it has its tongue firmly planted in its cheek. Yeah. Like whoever is writing it is aware that it's completely and utterly ridiculous and is trying to make it as, as, uh, entertaining as possible regardless. But that your mileage may vary on that, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, uh, one thing I noticed is they said Ozaru, not Ozaru, but you know. Okay. Yeah. That's something I want to talk about. I was wondering about these pronunciations. Yeah. They got Mafuba right though. Oh, that's good. And they did something cheesy about Piccolo had lain sealed for thousands of years until now. And then it opens with Goku training with the grandpa Gohan and doing some sort of training. It has Goku training. He swallows a bug, lands on watermelons. And oh, it was the, the, the first part of the movie just strikes me as like they had to run with the scenario that they were given by some sort of executives. Well, well we want to put him in high school to make him relatable to all the teenagers. Exactly. So. No, let me ask you a question because as I was reading the junior novel, I was absolutely hating every single last moment with that stuff. Yes. Well, all but, things considered, but, but it's quickly discarded yes, after yes, the whole scene. It went away done. very quickly. I was so happy to see that. So that's in the movie as well. It goes by fast. Yeah, it's like the scriptwriter is aware, okay, this idea is really stupid, so I'm going to discard it as soon as I can. That's good. But he does get some mileage out of it, uh, but there's some bad things too. Like uh, the the bully Fuller calls Goku Giko. Giko, yeah, that's in the junior novel. Yeah, that, that's kind of cringeworthy there. I don't know, some of it was amusing. Oh, one of the things that I spotted was Koko in kanji on the name of the school. First of all, Koko is the generally used term by people when they're talking, but 
on a building, you would always use koto gakko, which is actually the word that means high school. Gotcha. Koto is an abbreviation. Um, and that's just the first of the many instances of random, inexplicable Japanese in this movie. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, so let's see. I was wondering whether the airship might be a Toriyama design. It felt Toriyama-ish. And, oh, I should mention that Piccolo is green throughout this film. Oh, nice. None of the sort of jaundiced-looking pictures that first surfaced. Mai's role in this is very strange. She's the sort of callous henchman to Piccolo who has no remorse. And it strikes me as the general opposite of her character in the manga, which was the comedic foil for uh, for Pilaf. Right, you know, she, of- she's not even playing the role of Mai. They're just taking the name Mai and applying it to what otherwise would have been a general Piccolo henchman. It's, I think she was one of the few pe- people actually played by somebody Japanese. And she ha- has these random lines in Japanese for no apparent reason. Oh, God. There's no explanation given as to why they're using Japanese or what it means. Uh, even with like the scenes in the school, they make references to real Earth cultures, but it doesn't appear to take place anywhere recognizable at all on Earth. Uh, and it also appears to take place in the near future. There's a poster on Goku's wall that says, it's uh, some soccer team that says the 2010 champions. I forget where it was in the junior novel, but they did mention a year. I think it was even further out than that, maybe even like 2100 or something. Oh, I see. Maybe a little bit of a disagreement there between the book and the movie, but it's just sort of kind of strange. Uh, Goku mentions beware the Namics, although it doesn't get really mentioned again as to being Piccolo's planet of origin. And it's the random thing about Chi-Chi being the girl Goku's always kind of lusting after, but it doesn't matter until he pulls his martial arts shenanigans at the school, and suddenly she's all over him like a flip was switched like that. I, I mean, it's kind of arbitrary in the manga, too, but not like this. It feels like she's the designated love interest, and she realizes that. It's almost like, I'm in love with you because the script tells me I'm in love with you. I, and it almost feels like it's intentional. Not that they come out and say it, but it's like, it it's it feels self-aware, even if it isn't. Which it's very strange. almost makes it okay, but it, it still feels pretty terrible to me. Yeah. Let's see, Goku snubs his 18th birthday party to go to an actual party, like a house party that looks like it's somewhere in Southern California. And at this point, <laughs> I wrote, do Hollywood writers know anything else? <laughs> I hear uh, you. Yeah. Uh, let's see, there's something, some bit about uh, Grandpa explaining everything to Goku about his origins and his parents when he reaches 18. And Kachichi continues to be all over him. Gohan soon meets his end. And he says some very Darth Vader-esque lines is what I've written here but I don't remember exactly what he said. I also have written down, I can't fucking see what I'm writing. <laughs> uh, so are you holding that against the movie or no? Um, uh, no, it was amusing. Okay. Uh, uh, and let's see. But uh, but they do, they, they have treat the Dragon Ball something strange. Goku gets it for his 18th birthday, by the way. He keeps the Sushinchu, which they mention. It's um, sort of roughly the Japanese-Chinese pronunciation that they use in the comics. The, approxima- the approximation in Kana. But the Dragon Ball glows when Son Gohan dies, so he knows something is up. They also do use Son Goku, well, I think, once in the movie. Yeah, I read it once in the junior novel. Uh, but so he leaves the party in a hurry, and Grandpa tells Goku what's up and expires. 
he uh, instructs him to go find Yoda, I mean, um, Master Roshi, and the seven Dragon Balls. Goku pulls out the Kamisen Gi from Gohan's steamer trunk yeah, there was and takes it with him. The random, oh, there's a chest over there. I've never opened it before. I'm going to open it now. It felt that way, yeah. Uh, but Suhu appears, but Bulma, and it's kind of really weird, the, the interaction between them. As you said when you were reading through the novel, it really struck me as a complete inversion of what happens in the manga, almost by some who knows this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Goku tells Bulma about the Dragon Balls, and so she's talking about how she's looking for an unlimited source of power and has a PhD in applied dynamics. I don't know if that's a real thing. And Goku offers his services to Bulma. So, let's see, Bulma, I should note, has one strand of blue hair. Well, well, uh, a streak of blue hair, I should say, not a single strand. And she pulls out her capsule car, but Goku's reaction is far less um, strange as it is in the manga. He's more like, cool. Yeah, that, that's like that. been a big point of contention among people ever since maybe even the first trailer where Chatwin's cool. I mean, yeah, Gohan just died and... Sure, he just got ambushed. But he's been having a normal conversation for a little bit now. It does seem like some time passes. It's not clear how much time. Yeah, and I think yeah. Maybe that's more or less intentional, like... Uh, we're just going to say some time passes and then they show up. But it's clear that he's had time to bury him and look angsty for a while. I don't know if he's been eating or what. <laughs> but soon after, Bulma shows up. And, uh, the, the whole thing about Pauzu struck me as kind of weird. It struck me more as like Bulma's hometown in West City with this sort of technology. Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're looking for this guy in the city and he's not in the database. Well, maybe they spelled his name wrong and that sort of thing. It struck me as when Goku yep. goes to the city for Bulma in Dragon Ball. I I actually liked that little bit a lot. I, I thought that was another nice little nod there. And they eventually find him, and this is very strange. It's not an island, but he's in a single house on a tiny sort of pad of land that's been completely redeveloped around it. In fact, it may be sort of like a cliff that's been had all the ground underneath it hollowed out to create a city down below. I don't remember exactly how it went, but so it's kind of an island sort of. And I do like how they seem to make him as much of a sort of drunk lecher that they can pull off without making it anathema to the audience that they want to pull in. Yeah. It'd be nice if they made him more of a lecherous drunk because I think that would have made it more entertaining. <laughs> but uh, I do have a note, like, it, he does seem to be taking a swig at various points, although I don't remember clearly. Now, Julian, the big question I have for you here, this is what I was thinking the whole time I was reading the book. Do they have a shot of a pet turtle anywhere in his place? I don't remember. That would have been so perfect. It would have, yeah. But oh well. All right, continue on. Yeah, in instead he has a Hawaiian shirt with a t-shirt underneath with an anime-esque babe on it. Oh, God. Yeah, he has an issue of Bikini Quarterly lying around. Uh, so it's something. Uh, Goku can sense the Dragon Balls, so he doesn't even need the Dragon Radar, <laughs> or the DPE, as they call it. And whenever he picks one up, it gives him a flash of, I don't know, clairvoyance or pre visualization. That's that's a filmmaking technique. What am I talking about? His eyes go red and he sees the Ozaru. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it is. Which is eh, kind of weird. It's not the same thing as Sensing Key, unfortunately. Right. But anyway, the three of them go to a secret place to train. Uh, but there's this gigantic martial arts club. It's not explained who this club is or what they're doing there, but they're all apparently practicing for a tournament at Toysan, 
not explained what Toysan is at that point. And she mentions his grandfather's accident. So apparently news travels fast however long he's been gone. Right. Time passes very indistinctly in this movie, as I think you'll find. But they do training on the go, and then they fall into a mysterious hole where Yamja appears and demands payment for getting them out of the hole. But it doesn't matter because, as it eventually occurs, they can all get out of there anyway. But it doesn't matter because actually the Dragon Ball's down in the hole and they need to dig for it. Uh, now the thing about Yamcha, he seems to be very true to his initial sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, sort of uh, bandit yeah, sort of yeah. persona. But but his uh, voice and his mannerisms seem to be very much based on the early Chris Sabat surfer interpretation. Oh. That, right there, Dude. I mean, character gets destroyed then. Dude, with an umlaut over the U, yeah. Oh, that's such a shame. Oh, man. Yeah, he has, like, semi-dyed hair and a little, I don't know what you call it, mini goatee soul patch. It doesn't really seem like he has any sort of aversion to women, unfortunately. And they had what I kind of felt like was an attempt to emulate him spitting, uh, Piccolo spitting out eggs. Yes, but yes. But it's his blood to create henchmen. Which I was okay with, except it doesn't seem like he needs any help doing anything. Yeah, it was kind of like, eh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm busy hanging out, so I'm going to send these guys to do my bidding for me. Besides, they need some faceless things to face before they come across the big boss, Very right? true, very true. Uh, so, well, they get into this weird volcano that apparently they reached by tunneling from the hole that they were down in. It's it's not very clear in the book. It's 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 completely arbitrary. Uh, they can regenerate, so every time they cut them into pieces, they come back, which I think is a nod to Piccolo's regeneration. So Goku cuts them up to make a bridge across the lava, and but they get another Dragon Ball. But then Maya attacks. She's no match for Goku, and there's more foreshadowing about Ozaru. And at this point, everybody's just sort of <laughs> like. <laughs> Not that they actually said it, but I heard some whispers. Uh, they go to some weird temple where Roshi needs a containment vessel for the Mafuba. They say it'll be ready by morning, and Roshi will die if he uses it, but Goku is not ready. Uh, and then they appear at this random tournament, which is held in this giant stadium. So apparently martial arts tournaments are a big business in wherever they are. And let's see, Chi-Chi is fighting against who is apparently Mai, but Mai gets her blood. It comes back later. And Chi-Chi is still all over a clueless Goku, which is weird because he was all over her earlier on when he couldn't have her. And now he's just like, what? <laughs> and now he, he's there with her, but he's, uh, I'm kind of busy right now. I want to tell you stuff, but I got to go. Yeah, it, it's, it's incredibly strange. It's almost like he... Even he realized this, that she's suddenly likes him way too quickly. It's like, well, y you know, you did actually not care one lick about me earlier on in the film, and I'm kind of weirded out by you now. <laughs> uh, not that he actually says that, but I think it would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, they chant, the monks chant around the, what is not a rice cooker, unfortunately, for the containment vessel. I'm okay with that, it's fine. Oh, and part of the training is to use the Kamehameha, which is described as a kind of, I think, an air technique or a key technique, to light torches. Nice. Just lighting torches, nothing bigger. Goku is failing until Chi-Chi makes it a game in which he is allowed to step closer to her every time he succeeds. Yeah, this is the scene where I was talking about, oh god, it was driving me crazy, I couldn't read any more of it. That's the power of love! <laughs> there's a kiss, incredibly awkward, um, and then apparent, it's this weird sort of off-color moment, but Bulma finds Chi-Chi sneaking off in the middle of the night, and it, from appearances, it looks like looks as though she's just come out of Goku's room and like they've yeah right but actually 
turns out not to be her, and she stole the Dragon Balls because it's mine. Right. And the real Chi-Chi appears and fights the other one, and Goku comes to the rescue and takes one of them down, but it turns out to be the wrong one, and Mai gets away. And I was just shaking my head at them at that point. I don't know. It was just a weird sort of off-color moment. Like, okay, who are you aiming at for the audience? I don't know. It was kind of funny, but eh. Let's see. So that they have to. Uh, Goku gets down pretty bad, but Roshi revives him, and they have to go off to the Dragon Temple, which is not clearly explained. But Piccolo has all seven Dragon Balls, so they need to go there now. Yeah. And there's this random use of Namaste, which is Hindi, but again, not clearly explained why they need to use another language at that point. So they have a rocket Hummer in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I saw that in the I, trailer. I guess that could be um, part of the future, although terribly wasteful of gas. Let's hope they use some other kind of power source. <laughs> well, that's what Bulma's uh, working on. Right. Um, so, Goku will become Ozaru with the Eclipse. He is Naruto. I mean, and a vessel for the <laughs> Ozaru. Sorry. Uh, Piccolo commands him after them. And he turns into this sort of gigantic ape thing, but not as nearly as gigantic as he ought to be and kind of ugly. Also, his his clothing is miraculously indestructible, as I remember. Nice. Something similar to that. Like I, I seem to remember him in the uniform both before and after the transformation. If that makes any yes, sense. Yes, I, I gotcha. Yep. Uh, let's see. Yamcha passes a Dragon Ball to Bulma, uh, and oh, and the Ozaru kills Roshi, which was a weird, weird moment. Like, huh? Yeah. But I suppose it makes sense in a way. Uh, there's a girl fight. And Bulma beats Mai through her ingenuity. It's really kind of stereotypical kind of, well, we can't have a guy beating up on her, so oh, we'll really? use a girl because instead. In the junior novel, Yamcha kills her with just a shirt again. Really? Yep. Oh, that could have been there too. I was busy scribbling in the darkness and I might have missed <laughs> okay. it. Okay. It was, it, was it was a short movie, so there yes, could have been yes. something I by turning my attention away for a few seconds. Gotcha. Uh, but Goku harnesses the Ozaru through faith. Yay. I should say, harnesses Ozaru, because Ozaru is treated as a proper name rather than a thing. Right, right. And there's a big Kamehameha beam struggle, and Piccolo is down. And it was pretty anticlimactic. Yeah, I felt that way in the book. Yes, and uh, they all kind of celebrate, but Roshi is dead. And they're kind of, eh. But we still have a wish, so they call out Shen Ron, not Shen Long. Oh, in the book it's written as Shen Long. Two different Yes, they, they definitely words. pronounce it with the R. Huh. And he, he looks vaguely similar to the manga, but feels kind of like a cross between the Western and Eastern types. Yeah. In my eyes, anyway. Right. Uh, he also doesn't say anything. Huh, okay. Because I, I seem to remember having read something about him uh, about him being voiced by Chris Sabat. Nah, nah. Doesn't say that was just wishful dub thinking for months oh, and months okay. and months. Okay. Uh, so Roshi comes back to life, but the Dragon Balls are gone. So go search. But first Goku goes off somewhere to find Chi-Chi, and Yarr, they kiss. Yeah. And, uh, uh. yeah. Uh, but to settle their thing from earlier about him hitting her, they have to spar. Of course. And cut cue title and rule, but it's not over. Yeah, I heard about it. Well, we're not. We won't say anything about it until uh, April, I think, because I did read yes. what Greg wrote, so we'll save it. But I guess you you should say say stay for after the credits. Yes, there uh, is a sequel hook. Okay, it's a it's incredibly um, telegraphed sequel hook that I almost saw coming. But, <laughs> right. Yeah. It the the thing that I really come away with is I had a good time, but it's not Dragon Ball, and it's not good because the movie is good. It's good because the movie is bad. And the weird thing is the the badness of the movie feels like almost like it's intentional or to put it a different way it's 
It's a bad movie that knows it's bad and tries almost hard enough to turn it into a stealth sort of parody, but... Well, that's good, because Mary and I recently saw The Legend of Chun-Li, which was just bad, and there was no good about it being bad. It was just terrible. So if this is bad but good, that's a step up. I just despise knowingly spending money on something that is going to be bad. It's like, oh, I just But like Julian said, he had a good time. Yeah. I feel like some of the actors should get an award. Uh, I know <laughs> some people have criticized the wooden, wooden acting. I think they should get some kind of award for being able to say some of the lines that they got with a straight face. <laughs> very true, very true. Was the acting as bad as I thought it would be? Uh, some of them. There are more that seem to put into it. Uh, let's see. Jet Li phones it in. He's Jet Li, right? Nah, it's Chow Young Fat. Same guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're the same guy, right? I always thought they were the same guy. Uh, oh, wow. All right. <laughs> okay, Chow Yun Fat, then. He, he, tel- he uh, telephones his performance in. Yeah, I've read that. That's, yeah. that's, the, impression. that's the expression, right? Uh, well, phones it in. Okay. But I suppose you can telephone it in. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're going to be telling me that Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee are different people, too. <laughs> <laughs> Hate to break it to you, man. Oh, damn it. Uh, all the martial arts people blend in after a while. Chuck Norris, Jet Li. <laughs> Same guy, whatever. But all in all, I mean, you had an okay time watching it, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, it was. It, it's it's like the, the, the joy in, 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 in watching something that you know is just a movie. Right. I, I didn't really have that much emotional investment in the movie because I knew it was going to be different. So uh, the the important thing is not to com- try comparing it to the manga if you can avoid it, because it will cause you an aneurysm. Yeah, just take it for what it is. It's different. The original manga is not going anywhere. It's still there. It's still yes. what it is. And just try try to appreciate it for the sheer absurdity that it that it gives you. I, I, I rather like how contrived it is, and it, it seems to revel in how contrived it is. <laughs> That's good. Which I almost, I kind of like, so... Well, Mary, you've heard me talk about the junior novel. You've heard Julian talk about the movie. I'm going to let you close it out here. Thoughts? I don't have any. I just feel like my brain is um on fire. Like, I just... I'm totally fine with accepting that it's going to be a different movie, and I'm not one of those people that's going to cry if it, like, bastardizes the show, because like you said, the manga and the anime aren't going anywhere. I just hate wasting my time and money on something that's going to be bad. That's all. Fair enough. I suppose the main negative thing is that it's just another example of a comic book adaptation done wrong. At least in this instance, it does have its entertaining moments, although it's certainly not a good movie and not something that I can see being terribly successful unless audiences are a great deal less intelligent than I assume. It's got to do better than the new Street Fighter movie. That's all I got to say. <laughs> if you insist. Julian, I want to close it off here with a really quick rundown of words that are used and easy to mispronounce because I'm sure some of them were slightly in the movie. So let me go down here with you. Nyoibo. I heard that one and it did seem to be pronounced more or less accurately by the guy who plays Gohan anyway. Okay. I think he's the only person who refers to it by name. It might have been used the second time, but I can't remember. I think in the junior novel, Goku says it twice. Nyoibo extends. So there you go. Um, give me a rundown. How do you do this Chinese names for the drag malls thing? What, what is this? How does this work? Uh, so so it's basically Kanaized pronunciations of the Chinese names that the that were given by Toriyama back in the day. So instead of four star ball being given in, in Japanese, in this case in English, they use 
Sushinchu. Uh, I think the actual, well, the kana pronunciation is Sushinchu with equal weight on each of the syllables, which right. makes sense since it's more the, more or less equal weight in Chinese. Uh-huh. But I, I suppose mm, it might have been slightly different. Uh, let's see, Chao Yun-Fat actually uses Muten Roshi. Yeah, he did in the book as well once. Yeah, although, I don't know, to my ears it kind of sounded like it came out as Wu-Tan, although it might have been his Chinese background. I heard that he was saying Gohan wrong the entire movie as well. I don't, I, did he say Wuhan or what? I, Gohan or something? I'm not sure. I, I've only briefly uh, read it in text. I don't, I don't remember. Okay, well we'll move on I, then. He might have, yeah. I think that's possible. You said this was sort of close, but they didn't say Uzaru, which is great because that's not how it's supposed to be said. It's Ozaru. It's a, a long extended O sound at the beginning. Yes. They said Ozaru. Well, at least they get the O. I'd rather have the O correct and the emphasis on the wrong syllable rather than the U at the beginning there. So how about Cyan? Did they say Cyan? I don't remember. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I, it could have blown by so quickly that I didn't take notice. I don't have it written down, but that could have just been that I couldn't fucking see what I was writing. <laughs> That's fine. And then I guess the same the same respect. Was it Kakarot or Kakarot or does it not really matter? I can't I can't find that either. Okay. How about Namekian? Uh, they said beware the Namex. Or okay. Goku, yeah. Gotcha. You said Mafuba was pretty correct. Yeah, I remember that. All right. How about the Kamehameha then? Um, let's see. What do I remember? I think when it's being used, at least it's pronounced correctly. I have fuzzy memories about it being referred to. All right, because that's the one thing that would drive me nuts was yet another Kamehameha pronunciation. Yeah, I I don't remember that. Uh, I, it might have flitted across my consciousness as I was as I was watching, but I don't have it written down. All right, that's fine. Well, I just wanted to go through those words because I was mostly concerned about Ozaru. I was very worried that we get Uzaru. Decent enough. Uh, I think that concludes our discussion of Dragon Ball Evolution. I mean, we're going to have another one when the movie hits America in a couple of weeks. But uh, Julian, thank you so much for seeing the movie. No problem. And I think my friend still wants to see the movie, so I may be seeing it again. Ah, very it, nice. But if I'm seeing it again, maybe I'll try and check out the Japanese dub. It might actually make it better. Oh, that, that's true. We didn't point out you watched it in English with Japanese subs. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe maybe it'll even be all in Japanese, so you won't have the weird inconsistency of people <laughs> talking in Japanese for no apparent reason whatsoever. Right, though. All right. So with that done, <laughs> let us cruise into some releases here. March 17th, it's a Tuesday. Speaking of Dragon Ball Evolution, the soundtrack and the score are coming out $17.99 each. The score is by Brian Tyler. Uh, you can get them on Amazon. They were decently priced for pre-order, but I think they're back up to around MSRP now. So if you're interested, check them out. Mary, why don't you give me March 18th? It's a Wednesday. March 18th, we've got Dragon Ball Z Volume 31. It's the Spanish Region 2 DVD, two-disc set, and it covers episodes 248 through 255. You find it for €24.95 Euros on... Uh, Zionadvd.com. <laughs> Thank you. That's fonadvd.com. We know, but we love annoying you with it. So, okay. Julian, give me March 19th. Okay, March 19th on a Thursday. Dragon Ball Evolution, the <laughs> Japanese PSP release from Namco Bandai. Bandai, I suppose you could say. Developed by Dimps, it runs on a version of the Shinbudokai engine, but looks rather like a bad version of Mortal Kombat 2. 54.90 at Play Asia. And after that, we have the, well, I guess technically simultaneously, we have the French DBZ box set number one from AB Video and TF1 Video. 17 discs with 170 episodes to the end of the Garlic Jr. filler arc right before Trunks. It is for 170 euros and can be found 
I guess on our forum. Yeah, Sangofe got a, a really nice rundown. Him and uh, I think it was Genki, is that the name of the guy? Uh, got it in early. They have all sorts of pictures and breakdown of uh, screenshots and wonderful things over there. Yeah. So check it out. Okay. And then we have the French version of the Kanzenban, Volume 1 from Galena. It's a re-release of the Dragon Ball manga following the Kanzenban, or complete edition format from Japan, including the red cover art. Uh, it's 10.55 in euros for the suggested retail price, but it's for 10.02 again in euros at Amazon France. <laughs> That's uh, Amazon France for those of you from English-speaking countries. Very nice. Um, All right, so on March 24th, it's a Tuesday. We've got Dragon Ball the movie, the sticker book. I always end up saying this one. Coming from Viz, it's uh, six. You just like stickers, right? <laughs> I do. I love stickers. It's 6.99 for pre-order over on Amazon. Mary, finish out the month on the 31st. Okay. That's- it's a Tuesday, and it's Dragon Ball Z movies, 8, 10, and 11, uh, triple feature set from Funimation. It's remastered, uh, widescreen, all that stuff. It is $29.98 uh, for the DVD, uh, $19.99 pre-order on Amazon. The Blu-ray is $34.98 retail, $21.99 uh, pre-order on Amazon. So there you go. Alrighty, so with the releases done, we are going to do one email. We had a full episode, lots of Dragon Ball Evolution stuff. We're going to fully take it away from Dragon Ball Evolution. It's a nice little email Ah, here. normal Dragon Ball. Normal Dragon Actual Ball Dragon stuff. Ball. Julian, I'm going to read this to you. You ready for this? Yes. All right, Robin says, Hi, you guys, Daizen Shui X. I hope you're all doing fine. In Dragon Ball Manga Volume 28, when Trunks is telling Goku about the Jinzo Ningen, he calls them 19 and 20. First, I thought that maybe the counterparts of 17 and 18 in the future just have different names, but then in the next volume, when Trunks tells Piccolo what they look like, he now calls them 17 and 18, which I found a bit confusing. Though this may just be a mistake in the finished edition of the manga, which I read, or a mistake by Toriyama. Maybe you can enlighten me. Thanks for reading. Keep up the awesome work and have a good day. Bye. I don't know. Uh, actually, this is a mistake. In the original Japanese version of the manga, Trunks does indeed refer to 19 and 20, and this is also carried over intentionally into the English version of the manga in a rare inter- instance of them following slavishly the original dialogue, even when it doesn't make any sense, which is strange considering what they do change later on. But anyway. I think what's important to note here, though, is mistake may not be the right word to use because originally Toriyama was planning on having 19 and 20 be the villains. Yeah, but then his editor didn't like that, so he made them write new villains. And didn't like that, so he made him write a villain to be a villain even for 17 and 18, which resulted in Cell. And even then, so really he, the sto- he didn't like Cell's design, so he kept going. Yeah, so... Oh my god, so it's like the, the Cell arc is just one giant redo. At the time, and it really shows if you're reading through the manga. Right. So, you know, just think of it as a, a subtly shifting timeline. Like, it's it's sort of... Uh, it's not fixed. It just sort of happens. Just just keep in mind that he was writing by the seat of his pants, right. and this is well, one well, of the things that got the, changed in the course. At the time that Toriyama wrote that line of dialogue, it was going to be 19 and 20. However, things changed drastically. So there you go. Yes. That's the one email we wanted to do. We've had a full episode, like I said. Mary, if people have questions, comments, all that good stuff, where are they sending them? Send your stuff to podcast at com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at D-A-I-Z-E-X dot com. Well, thank you. So that's the end of the episode. I want to apologize. I just noticed that my phone was up by the microphone for about 20 minutes of the show. Hopefully I don't have any of that work work noise in the background. I got rid of it. Put it on airplane mode. I'll do what I can. There you go. Mary. Yo. Thanks for uh, being here. 
being here, doing the show, all the good stuff. Yes, thank good you. Times. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Check in next week. You certainly will. All right. What do you want to plug? I guess I will plug my site, Temple of Trunks. That's T-E-M-P-L-E-O-T-R-U-N-K-S dot com. Thank you. Julian, you and I, Dyson QEX. We can be found at Dyson QEX, which is located at http colon slash slash www full stop d-a-i-z-e-x full stop c-o-m. That's Dyson full stop c-o-m. Thank you. This is 168. We're coming to 169 next week. I don't know what we're doing. Maybe we'll do an interview. Maybe we'll do something else. Got some things lined up. Pretty happy about that. A lot of things to cover. That's it. I'm just ending it. From Mary over here. Bye. My brain is fried. Julian, for you in Japan. Hey. My name is Mike Vegito EX. We talked about Dragon Ball Evolution. Daisenshu EX Podcaster. You know what? I'm going to just screw it. You know, in honor of uh, something, let, let's say to defy the gratuitous Japanese in the movie, I'm just going to do this in English. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. See you next time. <laughs>